Hello and welcome to the podcast for the Center for Advanced Governmental Studies at Johns Hopkins University. We are a center for research and teaching focusing on government, and we are home to master's degree and certificate programs covering domestic and international politics and policymaking. My name is Colin Paschal, and I'm a faculty member at the center. In our podcast, we aim to provide the latest news and updates from the center, highlight the work of our faculty and students, and feature the insights of experts associated with Johns Hopkins and our friends in Washington, D.C. and across the country. This episode of the podcast is part of a series of conversations with recent graduates from our MA in Government program. I chatted with several recent grads to hear about their experiences completing the thesis project, which is required for all MA in Government students. Please enjoy our conversation. Good afternoon, Walker. Thanks for joining us uh, for this conversation about the thesis process. I thought we could start with you just doing a quick personal introduction, telling us a little bit about what might have brought you to the MA in government program and how that fits in with what you do professionally. Uh, sure thing. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, well, I, I actually came back to school really to change careers. Um, I've been doing logistics for the past decade really um, been at the same company for nearly 10 years um, both working in uh, operations and now recently in line hall or dispatching um, but during that 10-year period I've also written and published on the side in various peer-reviewed journals um, on a variety of topics um, and my wife actually hit me up one day and asked you know why don't you do this professionally and I was like, well, it's kind of hard to get into um, policy research and so forth. And so started looking into it, hit up some friends who worked with think tanks and, and so forth. And they suggested going back to school. Uh, I, I had an MBA, but that's more of a professional degree. And so they suggested getting something in government, politics, economics, something like that, um, and to get it from a good school. And so tried out several and ended up at Johns Hopkins in the government program and uh, now hoping this will help me transition into a new career. Great, great. Um, so in, in the spirit of that transition, as you're thinking about what you wanted to do next, what topic did you pick for your thesis and what did you write about? Um, my thesis was on something that's called the uh, do commerce theory, which translates roughly to something like gentle commerce or sweet commerce. Um, it was an idea put forth during the enlightenment era by several thinkers, um, but probably the most well-known uh, proponent of it was the French political philosopher Montesquieu, in which he said, uh, where there's commerce, there are gentle mores, and where there's gentle mores, there tends to be commerce. Um, and basically, the due commerce theory argues that commerce and market exchange uh, develop certain moral characteristics or moral habits uh, for the better. Um, and so what I wanted to do was uh, look at the claims of the do commerce theorists. What are they actually saying that commerce produces in terms of our moral habits? And is there any empirical validity uh, to this theory? Um, it's more of a philosophical one. They didn't have a lot of data at the time, but what does the social science really say about it? And what can we uh, say about the theory itself? Is it, is it something we should trash or is it something that we should take seriously? So as you were trying to test this hypothesis that's built into this theory or, or follows from this theory, what, um, what kind of data did you collect and use in your thesis? What kind of analysis did you do? 
Well, I first had to <clears throat> determine exactly what the do commerce theorists were saying, and I bo boiled it down to uh, six six major characteristics or habits that they were arguing that commerce leads to. And these six, which I call cheesily the big six in the thesis, um, are peace, honesty, trust, cooperation, fairness, and tolerance. Um, and so I started looking at a variety of social science literature to try to figure out the relationship between commerce and markets and these uh, six characteristics. And so, you know, without uh, going through all of it, for example, I looked at a lot of international relations uh, literature when it came to peace and the relation to, say, trade and uh, mar market economies. Uh, honesty, I used for the most part, corruption as a proxy. So I looked at the corruption literature, uh, what reduces corruption, what leads to corruption, what's its relationship to uh, market systems and to trade and, and the like. Um, there's a lot of trust literature, there's survey data, but there's also uh, trust game experiments. Um, same thing, tolerance, uh, you also have some empirical data, but that one was more, you know, less quantitative and more uh, qualitative. Uh, looking at the history of, say, the treatment of Dalits in India, uh, Jews in Europe, um, Af African Americans in the United States, things like that. And so I tried to bring this big synthesis of a variety of literature to see what has social science really found in regards to this theory. And um, overall, I find that it really supports the new commerce theory. Hmm. Okay. Um... So how did you come to, to select this topic out of the, the many things that you could have, have pursued as part of the MA and government program and given your previous interests? Like what, what made you settle on this theory testing endeavor? Um, well, the, the relation, the do commerce theory has been of interest to me for several years. Um, when, when we talk about things like markets, like trade, um, Sometimes we focus on the actual economics, the, econ the economic output, in a sense. Um, but as I kind of say at the beginning of my thesis, in terms of mainstream economics, uh, while there's a variety of market systems and so forth, it's not really a, it's not something that's really debated in terms of, you know, a market system versus a centralized economy. It's, you know, pretty mainstream that it's a market system works best, though there might be disagreements on how much the government should intervene in, in the economy, but overall it, it takes a market framework. And so usually the argument is over the morality of it. And does it make us worse people? Does it make us better people? Are we greedy and selfish and so forth by participating in the market and in commerce? Um, and so it just kind of became a philosophical thing to me that I thought was interesting. And I actually published a paper in uh, the journal Economic Affairs a couple years ago, just right before I got into the program. Um, but it was a short paper. It was only like 10 pages or so. And there was a lot more out there. And I really just kind of wanted to see, you know, was it as robust as it seemed in the paper that I had already written? Um, was there more pushback? You know, what, if I did a deep dive into this, what would it, what would the answer be? Um, and so it made me want to basically expand on that paper into something more of a book length. Uh, so that's, that's what kind of drove me to, to uh, explore that topic in particular. Hmm. Interesting. Not to get too far afield or, or I guess into the weeds here. So 
your, your basic conclusion you said was that there is support for this theory, that, that greater economic connection is associated with greater tranquility. Is that a fair statement? Um, yeah, um, tranquility seems to go with, with peace, but there's, there's a lot of overlap between these six things. I mean, fairness and tolerance, you know, and so, yeah, I think that's a fair way to put it. Hmm. So I, I don't study this field, so I'm, I'm, I'm new to this. So you're, you're the, I'm asking for your perspective since you've engaged in it more than I have. Um, what would you say about the, the fact that even though we live in a time when there's a lot of economic connectedness in the world, there's also still significant amounts of internal strife, I'm thinking particularly, and, and it's to a certain degree interstate strife. So how do you compromise your conclusion with what looks like a very disordered world, even though it's a very economically connected one? If that's uh, maybe too hard of a question, but uh, uh, I'm just interested in your perspective on that. Oh, for sure. Um, and that's certainly something I had, I have to, I had to qualify a lot within the, uh, the thesis itself. Um, the, it's definitely not that uh, commerce is the only thing that will uh, maybe lead to peace or trust and, and so forth, or even that it's a guarantee necessarily. Um, if it had to be, you know, 100% if, if everyone just traded or had a market system, um, and it worked 100% of the time that we never went to war, or we never did something that was uh, dishonest or so forth. I, I don't think any social science theory would live up to scrutiny. Um, but overall, what it, the main claim is, is that commerce promotes and is associated with these six uh, characteristics. In other words, if you have trade, um, if you have a market system, you are, for example, less likely to go to war, uh, all things being equal. Doesn't mean that you won't, um, doesn't mean that'll never happen, uh, but just less likely to. Same thing with corruption. You're, you're more likely to see uh, corruption in government and so forth um, in areas that have you know, far more centralized economies, far more isolated from, from the world and so on. Um, I, I would also point out, though, even more recently, uh, though, especially with the kind of disorder interstate um, conflicts and even with the kind of... Uh, populism and authoritarianism we've seen kind of crop up as of late, that a lot of that is also associated with um, increased isolation, increased protectionism, um, kind of a, you know, wanting to get away from economic uh, connection. Mm -hmm. um, now, granted, some of that is also driven by some of the grievances that people have about economic connection, whether uh, legitimate or not. But it, it does seem to be that when you see those crop up, it goes hand in hand with wanting to get away from economic connection rather than for. And so mm -hmm. um, you see that I kind of make a point in a few of the sections, for example, with uh, uh, human rights violations and so forth, that sometimes you see a relationship in which human rights violations will lead to less economic freedom. Um, now that's not economic freedom causing human rights violation or uh, economic freedom leading to less economic, or excuse me, economic freedom leading to less human rights violations, but less human rights violations leading more to economic freedom. And mm -hmm. to me, that's still uh, good evidence in favor of it because it shows that it's antithetical. Um, yeah, I mean, certainly the, the, the causal diagram here is extremely complicated. I mean, yes. I, I don't think I would, it, it would be, it, it must be wrong to reduce it to some kind of just, you know, bivariate thing where 
it, you know, one necessarily leads to the other outcome all the time. Absolutely. It's obviously much more complicated than that. And maybe, maybe what you could say, I mean, what one reaction I have to this is maybe what you could say is that commerce is one of many potential pathways towards greater peace or, or reduced conflict, but it's only a potential pathway, not necessarily a guarantee or, or even a, um, it has to be, it, it may have to coexist with other things in order for that outcome to, to come about. I mean, does that seem fair to you? Absolutely. And the do commerce theories, the, but I think basically all of them were, were putting it forth within the grander narrative of uh, political liberalism. Like it was a facet of, of liberalism as a whole. Um, so yeah, there was definitely other aspects that went with it. And, um, it's certainly uh, even within, you know, to just talk about the peace element, um, even within uh, international relations, the literature there, they'll look at the liberal peace project and economic interdependence is just one facet among many. Um, but it is a facet that, you know, contributes to it. And that's all that's all I was really interested in is whether or not it does contribute um, at all, you know, or, yeah. or does it not? And Overall, it's, there's definitely a relationship. And that's certainly cropped up, especially in the trust literature, where you have, it's difficult sometimes to determine whether or not markets is causing trust or trust leads to markets. In some studies, you find a causal, other times it's just an association. Mm -hmm. But even if, even if trust was the foundation that led to markets, then market systems and market activity solidifies that trust and it creates a kind of virtuous cycle. So they're kind of, it's often they're feeding off of each other. And that's mainly what I needed to show was, was whether or not there was an association at all. And if it was, uh, it helped promote these uh, big six. Yeah. Well, these are, these are huge ideas to be investigated. I mean, and no single, no single thesis and, and beyond that, no single dissertation or book is going to, um, you know, close the, close the door on it. So, uh, you know, when thinking through your writing process and as you, you grappled with these very big ideas, did you find anything surprising or were there any obstacles that came up in your writing process? So at a, at a meta level, looking back now, how do you think the, the writing process went? Um, the, the biggest obstacles for me in this particular thing, as you said, it's, a, it's very big ideas. And uh, it, it first started off with just the idea of do markets make us moral? Like just something kind of general or vague like that. But morality itself is a big philosophical question. I mean, you have, you know, different schools of thought when it comes to ethics, virtue ethics, deontology, uh, utilitarianism, and then there's fights over whether or not, you know, are those ethical and what is ethics and what do we mean by ethics? And then you have meta ethics and so forth. And so trying to, I, I almost felt like I would have to ground my axioms first and that's very difficult. And so, that became an obstacle in where it seemed like I was, uh, in a sense, overstating or I couldn't, there was no way to really determine whether or not it made us moral. And so that made me have to uh, narrow in on exactly what were the do commerce theories saying? What were their actual claims? Not just kind of a vague relation to what they were saying, but what did they actually say? And so I had to really dive into Montesquieu, Adam Smith, uh, Thomas Paine, Joseph Priestley, a number of people, and like, what were their actual claims? Because that becomes something that is testable. It's, you know, if they just say, well, it makes us moral, well, okay, in what sense? And what do you mean? And all the time? And what about, you know, uh, 
byproducts of it that may not be moral. Does that, do we consider that or, you know, and so on. And so it just became a thing of where I had to define my terms and had to really hunker down on, you know, what are the actual claims and what are the testable claims and saying that, well, it leads to less violence or, you know, more peace, or it leads to more trusting behavior, less corruption. You know, those are things we can test whether or not, um, you know, tolerance, for example, some people may argue that, well, being too tolerant is immoral, you know, whether or not that's true, that's a different question, but does it make us, does commerce lead to more tolerant behavior towards people who are different from ourselves? That's something we can test, hmm. um, you know, things like that. So I had to, that was kind of an obstacle. And especially in the last, uh, uh, the last semester of writing it, where it was kind of like, okay, I have to define this really, really well. So defining terms can sometimes be, be a pain, but it makes the paper a lot, lot better. Oh, I mean, defining terms and these issues of conceptualization are, I mean, fundamental to the, you know, social science and uh, social inquiry generally. So I, I'm completely on board on with you on that. I've spent a lot of time in my life sort of wondering, <laughs> what am I really talking about here? Yeah, yep, <laughs> um, exactly. Uh, it's easy to get inside of your own head for sure. Yes, um, yeah. So yeah, I, I suppose, you know, on that note, if, if looking back on your experience, if you were to provide anybody advice who was um, maybe thinking about, you know, joining the MAN government program and was contemplating doing this thesis or advice to somebody who was um, actually actively in the process of doing the thesis, what would you tell them about the process? I mean, what do you think are the most important things for folks to know if they're thinking about diving into this or are, are really actually in the process themselves? Um, I think the three biggest things for me um, that will, in my view, that will make your thesis stronger is, you know, that first thing of definitely defining your terms and also defining um, or clarifying what you are saying and what you are not saying. I, you know, I had to spend a, a portion of the introduction explaining what I was not saying, uh, because as I would have conversations with different professors, um, I realized that it wasn't it wasn't clear to them that I'm like oh no 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 I'm not I'm not saying this I'm saying this and, and so clarifying what you're saying what you're not saying and kind of anticipating uh, how others might read it and trying to get out of your own head and sharing it with other people even beyond your professors of maybe saying does this make sense to you um, what questions would you have if you read that paragraph or whatnot I did that a lot as I was writing um, the second one is definitely uh, <laughs> this seems obvious, but like do your research. There's my, my thesis has a, a lot of footnotes and really becoming familiar with the social science literature on, on your topic. Um, Cause it's easy to think, Oh, this is brand new and no one's ever touched on it. And that's probably untrue. Someone has probably touched it somewhere. Um, and so to make sure you're not repeating yourself and that you're actually saying something new, you really have to familiarize yourself with the literature. Um, but finally, um, this may not work for everyone, but I think it worked pretty well in my favor is, um, go big or go home. Like, I mean, if you've got an ambitious idea, like, don't be scared of it. Like, you know, try it out. It, it might take a lot more work if it's a really big idea or something that's really ambitious. But I think, I think you'll be better for it, especially if you do those first two things. Um, and I think people will find it interesting, uh, provocative and, um, hopefully it'll put you out on the map and, uh, you know, make people take you more seriously, hopefully. 
So those are the three things I would say. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you had a, it sounds like you had a, a, a very useful experience uh, going big yourself on this thesis. And so I, I'm, it's a pleasure to talk with you about it. Uh, I definitely appreciate you taking the time to chat with us and sharing your insights uh, this afternoon. And I, I wish you a happy 2021 and, and best of luck uh, in going forward. Awesome. Thank you so much. Appreciate you having me. Okay. Thanks, Walker. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Center for Advanced Governmental Studies at Johns Hopkins University. To learn more about our center, please visit our website or follow us on Twitter or Facebook.